celebrating our 15-year anniversary as a church ministry here in Miami. This is what has kept me going these last 15 years and will keep me going in the next 15. That you are loved beyond success and failure. That in your success, God doesn't love you anymore. And in your failure, he doesn't love you any less. And so my, my, my challenge for all of us here today, as we look into our future, as we peek into our future, let us not do anything here that does not flow from an understanding of this love that Jesus has demonstrated to us. Good evening, church. My name is Carter. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossbridge, and I am grateful to be with you all on this holiday weekend for some. For some of us, it was not, but this is a time for us to gather and to worship the Lord. I'm really grateful for this time every single week, 5 p.m., Sunday nights, right here. For those in the room, for those that are out of town joining online, for us to be God's people gathered to worship, to pray to hear from the preach word, to take from communion, which we'll do after the message, and to spend time creating friendships after the service. You know, this is what church is about. It's us being together, to partner together, to learn together, to challenge one another, to encourage, to laugh, to mourn. This is what the church is meant to be. This is why Jesus gave us the church. Now, the reason that we do this gospel legacy campaign every year, we're actually in the past, we've called it Making Our House a Home, and this year we're calling it Gospel Legacy, the next 15, because as Pastor Johnny shared, we've been a family of churches, a movement of churches for 15 years, and we believe that this coming year, 2024, is crucial for the next 15 years, that the time that is pledged, the talent that is pledged, the finances or treasure that is pledged will set the course for the next 15 years. And what we want to be as a church is a church that leaves a legacy for the gospel, that when People look back 15 years from now, they will see a people that planted the gospel in their workplace, in their church, in their neighborhood, in their different regions of the city, and that Jesus was made known and he was glorified. That's our heart. And so even as you consider, as Pastor Johnny shared, the pledge card, this is for us to come alongside of you. You know, part of being a part of church is for us as pastors and leaders to say, how can we steward your gifts? How can we encourage you? How can we walk alongside of you? And that's why we ask you to pledge three things, time, talent, and treasure. So what time can you give to small group, to serving, to anything in the life of the church? What talent do you have to offer? And then what treasure are you, can you pledge so we can set a budget for 2024 that's accurate? We want to be good stewards of everything. And some of the stories that you heard here on the video just a moment ago were because people pledged time and talent, and we were able to connect with them and their passions and then come alongside of them and support different organizations. Some of you may not know this, but Buddy System, which was one of the last organizations featured, uh, Jessica was sharing about that. She's one of the co-founders. They are doing amazing work. I mean, featured in big magazines. They've become this incredible organization fighting food insecurity. They have like 15... Uh, food fridges all over different food deserts here in Miami to provide free food for communities, and they do distributions. Amazing. That organization was started right here at this church in 2020 during the pandemic. 
with their vision and their heart and you, so many of you came out weekly to do food distributions and it was birthed through that. So this is why we believe pledging is important. It's why we believe that this annual campaign is important because God uses the things that you feel you're calling to give as worship to his vision and his mission. He uses that for incredible things like launching organizations like Buddy System. So this evening, we're going to be looking at the episode two of our series, which is entitled Building a Legacy in the City. What does it mean to build a gospel legacy in the city? If you were with us last week, you know that we looked at how do we build a gospel legacy in people. We're focused on the gospel is power, and we want to be a people that are focused on the gospel. Here at Crossbridge, we have four core values, and so last week we looked at our first one, which is cross-focused. We also have the second core value is community-driven, third is city-positive, and the last one is catalytic to a movement. This evening, I want to look at City Positive, and the next week, spoiler alert, we're going to look at Community Driven and Catalytic to Movement together for the closing of our series. But City Positive, what does it mean for us as a church to be City Positive? For many of you, you may think that that means that we actually want to be people that are positive about Miami. I don't know how long you've been in Miami, but people like to complain about Miami. Maybe that's you, maybe it's the traffic, maybe it's, I don't know what it is, maybe it's everything developing in Brickle. Some, I even know some people that have come from cold weather places and they don't like when it gets a little cold, you know, because Miami is a sunshine state. It's beautiful. It's an amazing place. But we have a place, we have this tension where we want to, you know, complain about certain things, maybe highlight certain things. Some of you are brand new here and you're like, this is paradise. I don't know who complains. Just give it a year. You'll hear it. But that's not really what City Positive means. It's simply that we want to just always be positive about my. No, we want to celebrate the beauty of our city and the greatness of our city, and we want to pray for its prosperity and its peace. City, city positive means that we celebrate our city, but that we also want to engage the brokenness of our city. We want to bring the power of the gospel. Our vision as a church is that by the power of the gospel, we bring renewal to the city. And when we say renewal, we mean physical renewal, social, cultural, mental, emotional, spiritual renewal. And so that's why we partner with organizations like Touching Miami with Love, like Miami Rescue Mission, like Buddy System, like Eve's Hope, like Patches, like Agape, all these different organizations serving different sectors of our city. And so part of being city positive is saying, we want you to be on mission with us to deploy your time and your talent and your treasure to support the great work caring for people in our city. We want to be about mercy. We want to be about justice. We want to see a better city grown through the power of the gospel. See, cities have so much potential. You may know that, and maybe that's why you've moved to a city. Maybe you're from a small town and a, a big city, a global city like Miami is a lot. There's so much here. There's so much potential in a big city. It's the center for culture and wealth and influence. But at the same time, there's a lot of difficulty in a city, right? There's elitism and there's tribalism there's all different types of religions and diversity of opinion, which can create conflict. There's more poverty and more skeptics. It's kind of all the best and all the worst of everything in a city. Some studies have shown that by 2015 or 2050, 83% of the world's population will be in cities. People are drawn to cities, and cities have power. In fact, that's the trajectory that history is moving. 
From the very beginning of the Bible, in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, God creates a garden. He puts humanity in the garden. Adam and Eve are in the garden, and then they're cast out from the garden because of the fall and because of sin. And since that point, history is going on a trajectory from a garden to a what? City. It's a garden city that we see in the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. God is building a city. We're going to see that even in our passage tonight. And we want to be a part of that. He's left us to be a part of that. He's called us to be a part of that, to use our gifts, our time, talent, treasure, to build a city for his name and the power of the gospel. And so this is what it means to be city positive for us, is to step into the potential of the city for the name of the gospel and through its power. Now, I want to look at a dimension of city positive that I have never spoken on, I've never preached on, and if I'm honest, I've never thought about till this week, okay? <laughs> Been preaching city positive for a long time, but I've never thought about this dimension before. I, I've thought about city positive from physical renewal, emotional, mental renewal, social, cultural re- renewal, and I've always said spiritual renewal, but I've always thought about what that, that's kind of incorporated in, in our cross-focus, community-driven, and the other stuff that we do, but I want to dive into that aspect of being city positive. What does it mean? Here's the question. What does it mean to care for the soul of a city? How do you care for the soul of a city, not just the physical needs of a city, which we will continue to do every single day that we exist as a church, but how do we also care for the soul of a city? And so we're going to look at a very famous passage in the New Testament. It's Hebrews chapter 11. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. The passages will be on the screen behind me as well. This passage is affectionately called the faith passage. It's really beautiful. The the author of Hebrews goes through these different people of faith, and it speaks about how their faith is pleasing to God. And they're righteous because not of their works, but their faith. So I want to read this passage to you, and then we're going to look at a few of the verses here to see what God's Word says to us. It's 10 verses, so stick around with me, but you're going to see it's really beautiful the way that the author outlines this. Here's God's word. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, is in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, 
And he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has its foundations, whose designer and builder is God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What was the uh, repeated refrain here in the passage? You can say it out loud. By faith. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. Could keep going, and that story is still spoken today. Anything that God does in and through you, and the pleasing nature by which you live is not because of your good works. It is by faith. Now, I want to dissect what faith is, because if, if we are going to care for the soul of a city, we have to understand deeper the nature of faith and even the beginning of faith. I want to say that faith begins in understanding, begins with understanding, it leads to conviction, and it results in commitment. So let's just take the basic blocks of, of faith, faith in God. It begins with understanding who God is, that he exists, that he's true and real, the creator. It leads then to conviction of who you are. So when you understand and believe that God is exists and he's true and he's real, naturally you then begin to think about yourself, which leads to conviction because you are not like God and we have not lived as God would desire, which then results in a commitment to follow God. See, the gospel of Christ, the message of Christianity is that as we begin with understanding that God exists, that he's real and true, we're led to a conviction about our own brokenness and our own sin and our own failure. But then by faith, we commit to follow God in his ways because we understand that God is gracious, that he forgives us because of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus we can freely follow God full of forgiveness by grace and mercy because God has compassion on us because he's come to save us and so we can commit to follow him. So the basic building blocks of faith, understanding leading to conviction that results in commitment. Now I want to focus this evening on the very first part, understanding that faith begins with understanding. It begins with understanding. And my hope is this, that you're going to see two things tonight. One, that the key to building a gospel legacy in a city starts with understanding. And secondly, is that you would receive a fresh conviction and a new commitment. See, I believe that when we have a fresh understanding of God's word and even of ourselves, it leads to a healthy conviction that should lead us to a new commitment to follow God in his ways. So what happened for me this week as I was working through this, fresh understanding, new conviction, new commitment. So faith begins with understanding. That means faith begins with logic and reason and rationale. Now this is contrary to what so many people would claim about the Christian faith. Maybe you've heard this before, maybe someone has shared this, you've certainly seen it somewhere online, that Christians do not have a thinking faith, that Christians are people conditioned into their faith, that Christians are people that kind of blindly leap into their faith. 
that Christians are people that out of a need for emotional support in times of trouble have faith. Or that faith is just some kind of general thing that is with every single religion and just kind of choose whatever you want to have faith in and that's good for you. Faith doesn't begin with understanding or thinking. They're kind of at odds. Carl Sagan, the American astronomer, said this about faith and belief in Christians. He said, you can't convince a believer of anything, for their belief is not based on evidence. It is based on a deep-seated need to believe. This is a prevailing sentiment among many, that you can't convince a believer, a person of faith, of anything, because the reason they have faith is not because of evidence, it's because they just need something to believe in. Now, what I want to say tonight is not that you can have faith and still think, okay? I don't want to say that you can have faith and still think. I want to say that faith requires thinking, Thinking is the foundation of faith. You cannot be a Christian and not use your brain, okay? It's as blunt as I can put it. Thinking is the foundation of faith. It requires faith. It's not like, hey, I'm, I can think, I'm, I'm intellectual, but I also have faith. They are not at odds. They are conjoined together. You cannot have faith unless you think, unless you begin with understanding. It is the beginning of faith. You know, a lot of studies are showing that in the Western world and in our country, faith is declining. It is declining. And there's a lot of reasons that people have a lot of ideas and reasons for why faith is declining. I think the reason that faith is declining is because thinking is declining. I'm being serious. I, I also was thinking of something I'm, I'm constantly concerned about and thinking about the polarization of our world. Anyone else here concerned about the polarization of our world? Just me, a couple of you are like, yes. And, and there's a lot of assertions as to why we're so polarized as people. People say social media, people say disinformation being spread, people say that it's algorithms creating echo chambers. Some people just say it's because we're tribal by nature and we need to be a part of a group and so it's groupthink mentality. I'm sure all these things, in a way, are at play and a reason why polarization seems to be increasing year over year. But, but I was thinking about if we were all really honest, like most of us in this room, I would imagine, are like, yes, I'm concerned about polarization. But if we were really diagnosing ourselves, we would say, okay, I am concerned about it. But at the same time, I also am comfortable with and dependent upon some of the echo chambers that I exist within because they give me positions and perspective and assertions that kind of bolster and promote what I already think. And so sometimes, if, if I'm really honest, competing positions and competing assertions cause in me the desire to demonize them or destroy them because it's pushing at the fabric of my comfort. It's pushing into my echo chamber. I think a lot of people feel like that. I'm sure if many of us are honest, we're like, I kind of feel like that too. Like, I like being in the safety of the positions and assertions and perspectives that I already agree with, and I don't really want to be challenged. 
I think this is true. And so I was thinking this week, okay, if faith is declining and polarization is increasing, maybe the reason these two things are happening is because thinking is declining. It's because we would rather be fed than think. We would rather be told what to think or believe than to really think. I think that's true. I think it really is. That we'd rather just be told the right answer according to the person that we've given the power to speak that truth into our life than really think about it. Because it takes work. You know, for so many of us, what we're concerned about thinking about is how to increase our standard of living, our career dreams, romance, influence, our bank account. So many things occupy our mind and our thoughts and our attention, and we're, we're, we're kind of doing a puzzle, and we're putting everything together, and we're trying to figure out how to move forward. This is understandable. These things are pressures on our lives, but very few of us are like, you know what I'm really excited to talk about? I'm really excited to get together with some people or just to spend some time myself and think about the deep questions of life. I want to think about God and his existence. I want to think about how we understand what is right and wrong. I want to think about what is real and what is true and dissect things so I know what's lies and what's delusion. For many of us, we're like, no, that kind of stuff, the deep questions of life, those really heavy questions, I already have enough to think about on my own plate. Those questions are for the academics. They're for the scholars already. They're for the pastor to think about and then tell me what I'm supposed to think. Because this is the truth. I don't want to say tonight, and this is why I'm saying I was convicted this week. Please take this. Being trying to be gentle, but I was convicted, so I got to share. This is not like those people out there in the world have a thinking problem. But we, superior Christians at church, we are always thinking, and we are so deep, and we know everything. Not true. We have a thinking problem in the church, too. We do. We're consumed by the same pressures and the same thoughts about the same things, and we often don't want to think about the really deep things because it takes work and it's tiring and it's a lot. We want to give it to other people. We don't want to put in that work. We have this growing culture of consumer Christianity. Tell me what to think and I'll think that. Unless it's going to change things in my life and then I won't think about it. I'll take what I want, but not what I don't want. We have a problem. We have a thinking problem. And there's a reason faith is declining. There's a reason polarization is increasing. There is a plague of surface thinking that if something's less than 144 characters, I don't want to read it. Someone needs to tell me. It's a problem. And I was thinking about this this week that so many people want to demonize the the, kind of the birth of the, the deconstruction movement. I don't know if you're aware of that. There's like a movement in the last 10 years within the Christian kind of ecosystem of people deconstructing their faith. And I, my heart breaks for those people instead of like demonizing people that are deconstructing. Because I, I think to a person, if you were to talk to someone who's deconstructing and pulling apart their faith, what you will find is the following. That they were raised in an environment where they were told 
that they needed to believe certain things. They were not allowed to doubt. They were not allowed to ask questions. They were not allowed to challenge. They were not encouraged to think. They were conditioned to believe certain things. And so their faith was conditioned, not reasoned. And so when they got exposed to other theories and other thoughts and other assertions, they had nothing. They had nothing to combat it. They had nothing to challenge it. And so the only logical answer was to deconstruct it all. Because we live in a culture that promotes surface thinking to be fed things, and we in the church are guilty of falling into that too. And it's concerning. I was reading a survey about a month ago this just highlights the point. And the survey was taken among people that were considered committed Christians. Committed Christians were people that go to church at least once or twice a month, this, according to the survey, at least once or twice. They may go every week, at least once or twice a month. They are serving in their church. They're giving to their church. They may be members of their church. They would te- if someone asked them, are you a Christian? They'd say, yes, I'm a Christian. And they would identify as a committed Christian. The survey was polling how many times a week these committed Christians read their Bible Monday through Saturday. Sunday doesn't count because hopefully the Bible's read in church. But Monday through Saturday, what percentage of committed Christians read their Bible one time Monday through Saturday? The answer, 8%. 8% of committed Christians read their Bible one time, Monday through Saturday. And this is not, I have no idea if you read your Bible one time or 50 times. But this is to say that we have a thinking problem. That we're not reading. We're not studying. We're not understanding. And it makes sense why our faith would be stagnant. Why our faith would be stuck. Why we wouldn't experience the power that God has for us. Because if our faith begins at understanding, we don't just leave that behind. We have a thinking problem, therefore we have a faith problem. Verse 6 of our passage says the following. Listen to this. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. That's God. Without faith, you can't please God. For whoever would draw near to God, okay, drawing near to God, what happens? You must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So if you want to draw near to God, where does it begin? with understanding and believing that he exists. Like, you got to start there. I want you to imagine that I told you there's a treasure island, okay? And I said to you, I know of this island that has a treasure on it. Anyone can go. You just have to, like, find your way there. you got to get your own boat because it's an island. And when you go there, there's treasure there. You can take what you want and you can leave. It's amazing. What you would probably do is you would say, okay, this is awesome. Thank you for telling me. Do you have a map? Like, which ocean is it in? Okay, is there a latitude longitude? Is there a history of the island? Are there people that have been before that I can talk to about the island? Because you're doing two things when I tell you that there's a treasure island. One, you're trying to figure out if it actually exists. Because I could just be lying. So I'm, you're like, is it real? And then if you do the research and you study the map and you talk to different eyewitnesses, you're going to come to a, a belief. And you may say, hey, it actually exists. And now through all of that research and material, you're charting a course to get to the island and get the treasure. What you would not do is if I come to you and say, hey, there's a treasure island. Anyone can go. And immediately you're like, 
great. And you go to the closest marina, you get in the boat, and you just go out in the ocean. Because you have no idea where it is. You're never going to find the island if you just immediately chart the course out into the ocean. You have to do the research. You have to have understanding. See, our thinking begins with understanding. Our faith begins with understanding. And if you want to draw near to God, you have to believe that he actually exists. Now, you may be like, obviously. I mean, that's like the total basic level of faith. You have to believe that God exists. But let me tell you something I've found. I have found a lot of people that want to draw near to God. They want to draw near to Jesus. They want to draw near to the Christian faith because they have heard about the treasure that is found. They have heard about the emotional joy, and the mental rest, and the spiritual peace that is in fact found by faith. And so they want to draw near to God. But they don't actually believe that God exists. They believe in the concept of God. And they want the result of what the Christian faith provides. They want the treasure, but they haven't actually done the work of whether or not God exists. They really believe it. They may say something like this. I believe God is true for me but I don't know if he's true for you. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you're there. It's okay. See, the beginning of faith is to say that God is true, period. He's real. He exists. And there's no other God before him. There is one true God, the triune God of Scripture, the God of the Bible, the God who created the universe. One, period. True for everyone. In fact, that's what the author of Hebrews says in verse 3 about faith. He says, by faith, verse 3, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So all of us of faith, we understand something and we believe something and that this God is not just true for some people and, and also not true for others. This God is the true, real, living creator God who created the universe by his word so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith draws us to consider and to understand the origin of our universe. Now, you may be saying, not me, because I'm not good at science. You're like, I can't understand the complexities of the origin of the universe. I don't know know that. Maybe you're like, I barely made it through biology. Don't even talk to me about physics. You may be saying, I watched Interstellar, and I got lost, immediately turned it off. I don't know why people like that movie. I love that movie. Whoever said what, I'm with you. I love that movie. See, some people are like, science makes me tired. Other people are like, I know we have a lot of doctors and scientists in the room. We obviously have an interstellar lover over here, like me. And that that is because some of us love science. Some of us, like me, watch interstellar five to ten times, printed out graphs and charts, and had breakdown conversations about the timeline and black holes, and do they actually really eat space and the event horizon and the tesseract. Some of us did that, you know? But that doesn't mean that you have to understand all that. That's not what the, apost- that's not what the author of Hebrews is saying. The author of Hebrews is saying this. You don't have to understand the point of singularity, and you don't have to debate about black holes. You don't have to like Interstellar, okay? But the soundtrack's the best. 
the author is saying that the beginning of faith is not to necessarily understand all of the scientific complexities of the universe. It is to consider and understand the God who made it. It is to believe that God made it. That by his word, he made it. In fact, it says something so beautiful, which we're blessed to be in the time that we are to consider the power of this verse. No people, the Christian faith, have been able to understand this verse like we have in the past 50 to 60 years. It says this, that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. See, the Christian faith believes that the invisible made the visible. That God, by the word of his mouth, created the universe so that everything that exists came out of nothing. Everything that is visible came, out, came from the invisible. This is what we believe. This was written 2,000 years ago. And many people rejected God because in the scientific community, at least, there was a belief that the universe was eternal in both directions and that matter created matter. Well, why I said that we are blessed is because within the past hundred years, the scientific community has come to believe that the universe was born, that it was created out of nothing, that all that is visible came from the invisible. Isn't that amazing? It's written right here 2,000 years ago. See, Christians are people that have arrived at the belief that the visible came from the invisible and that the invisible power that created the universe did not cease to exist but is still alive and present because it is God himself who created the universe by his word. A Christian is not someone that says, I have perfectly answered every question of the universe. A Christian is not somebody who says, I have perfectly coherent faith, and I have no doubts, and I have no struggles with certain things. A Christian is a person who says, I believe that my faith in God is solid ground. I believe that it is rational and logical. I have thought about it. I understand the other theories, and they pale in comparison. They are less coherent than the belief that God is the creator of all. I'm on solid ground. This is the baseline of understanding of Christian faith. But other theories have greater leaps. Like to believe that the visible came from the invisible, but that invisible was not God, is a great leap. Because it means a miracle happened. And miracles don't happen without God. This is the basic of our faith, friends. It is to believe that your faith is solid ground and to draw near to God because you believe he exists. And some of you may be thinking, I have believed this for a long time. This is not a sermon for me. No, it is. Because we need to think about who God is and that he truly exists and that he's actually real. Sometimes we don't live like what we claim to believe. That he's the creator God who's powerful to birth a universe by his words. He can do anything in your life and in this city. 
He is the God who exists. And this thinking, this understanding leads to faith because we do not believe that God is an impersonal force. We believe that God is a person. He is active and real and present. And look what it says, that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is the very beginning of faith, and it's what for so many of us we have to come back to, which is I believe that God exists, that he's the creator of the universe, that he is real for me and everyone else, that there are no other gods before him. Through the power of his word, he created the universe, and when I draw near to him, he will reward me. When I come think about him, when I want to understand him, yes, it will lead to conviction, but it will lead to a new commitment. To draw near to him, I will find the rewards that he provides. And the chief reward that God gives when we draw near to him is the spirit of God. Jesus told us that it's the great reward, that it's better when he ascends into heaven because he's going to give a gift, and that gift is the helper, it's the spirit of God. And here's what scripture says about the spirit of God. When you draw near to God in faith, you are filled with the spirit of Christ the Spirit of God, and it says this, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives where? In you. Do you hear that? The same power that brought Jesus from the dead lives in you. When you draw near to God, he rewards you. And the chief reward is a fresh filling of the Spirit. You do not receive the Spirit one time when you really believe by grace through faith. You believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You are full of the Spirit, but it is not a one-time thing. We are called to draw near to God and receive a fresh filling of the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit keeps bringing new things. He brings His fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. If you want those things in your life, those rewards, you draw near to God so the Spirit can be your reward to birth those in your life. He brings spiritual gifts. He brings spiritual power. He brings restoration and healing. In fact, 1 Corinthians 2 says this. The Spirit of God helps you to understand the deep things of God. When you draw near to God, you understand who He is. You want to think about God. The reward for drawing near is the Spirit of God. This faith that begins with understanding and drawing near to God, it ignites a relationship with God. It rewards you with the Spirit of God that is ever flowing in your life. And here's the thing. To occasionally seek God is to receive an occasional reward. This is a a statement, not one time that we're to believe that God exists and draw near to him. This is a constant call on our lives to believe not with our heart only, but our minds as well. And you may be thinking, what does this have to do with building a gospel legacy in a city? How do we build a gospel legacy in a city? See, I believe that you are here for a reason. You're in Miami for a reason. You're in this church for a reason. We are here in this church in Brickell. We're just celebrating two weeks ago, not a month-to-month rent, but a 10-year lease to be here in the city. We are well-positioned in a thriving, growing city full of potential and full of people that are thinking about so many other things other than God. You know that? 
I know that. I'm, I'm distracted by it too. I'm tempted to think about other things too. So are you. We all are, especially in a city like Miami. But we're positioned here for a reason. So that in the midst of a city where everyone's thinking about their appearance and their influence and romance and their career and their bank account and their vacations, we can be a people that are thinking about God and inviting people to come on the journey with us. Inviting people to come to a church where their doubts are free to be expressed and they're safe. Inviting people into conversation where you talk not just about sports or the weather or celebrity drama or whatever it may be, but you talk about the deep questions of life. That you actually go deep. That we don't have our friendships and our relationships fall plagued to surface level thinking, but we push deeper. And that, that was a convicting word for me too. I want to push deeper in my friendships. In fact, I don't know yet, but social hour tomorrow night, we're going deep. Something. We're going to talk about something. <laughs> we need to dive deeper. If you have the Crossbridge Brickle app on the notes icon, we have put five questions there. If you click on the icon, there's five questions at the bottom of the notes that you can use with your friends. Friends, coworkers, neighbors, go to lunch, go to coffee, get together after work, and ask questions that are deeper than just, you know, what Netflix show are you watching? Dive deeper. We be people that are thinking and seeking understanding of God and drawing near to him so we can experience the reward that he provides in the spirit. You see, if thinking is the foundation of faith, then the, the foundation of gospel renewal in a city is thinking. People that think and challenge others to think and want to begin with understanding. It has to begin there, and we have to live it ourselves. I want to close with telling you about a time that I got a root canal. Um... I, uh, I had to get a root canal because I, I played football in, in my past, and I guess like I destroyed a tooth somehow. I didn't know. It just turned black one day, like years later. And I was like, okay, this is a problem. And so I, I go to the dentist, and he's like, you have to get a root canal. And I'm like, I, that sounds horrible. So can you tell me? He's like, you're going to have to get it. Your tooth's going to stay black forever. We don't want that. Explain all the reasons. It's not going to hurt. You know, it's going to be great. I'm like, I don't know. But the, the dentist was so nice and made it feel so safe and secure. And I was like, okay, it's not a big deal. Like, you know, like, I don't know why people talk about a root canal in a bad way. This is not a big deal. Got to do it. So I come back and I get there. I'm feeling good, you know, this little root canal. And uh, the dentist, uh, the, the assistant says, here, let me take you, you know, Mr. Brown to your room and sit at the, you know, sit down. And I sit down. And it's a normal kind of dentist room. And she says, the dentist will be right back in. And I said, okay, great. And then I started to look around. And I saw like saws, drills. I saw needle, like massive needles. I saw the, you know, the mouth pokers. I call those mouth shanks. They shank your mouth. I saw a clamp to hold my mouth open. And all of a sudden, everything started changing. Like, I, the understanding that I received, I was like, I'm feeling, I feel good about it. But when I sat down and started to look around at what's around me, I started to feel really unsettled. And I had to remind myself, like, I'm here for a reason. I have to do this. I need to go through this. I need to remind myself of what I know to be true. And it, was, it wasn't horrible, but it wasn't as good as the dentist said. Okay, I'll just tell you that. If you ever have that one. But, but I tell you this because the whole reason I wanted to share this message tonight 
is because oftentimes what leads our faith to being stagnant, to not experiencing the power that is found in our faith because the spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead is living in, within us, that leads to the decline of faith is because we are passive in our faith and we're not thinking about what we should understand. And we're not going back to the promises that God has given us, the word that he's given us, the truth of his word that is before us, the reality of who God is, that the God that spoke the world into existence loves you, that he lives within you in the spirit of God, that he is for you, and that if he created the universe, he can move in your way in any, any, in any way possible. He can change and transform your life in this city. So we have to go back. Sometimes what happens is we look around and we see all of the scalpels and the life shanks and the mouth clamps, and all the different stuff happening, and we get distracted, and we get confused, and we get hurt, we get scared, we get frustrated. And we think about those things instead of going back to what we should know. We think about our career, and these things are important, and all the pressures and stresses and all the things happening. But it's like God is calling us sometimes as a people to say, I need you to go back to the very beginning of your faith, to a fresh understanding of who I am, the power that I have. I need you to draw near to me by thinking and engaging in my word. I want you to press forward, and you will experience the reward that I give you when you draw near to me. And there may be some hardship that you go through, but I will renew you. The Apostle Paul says, walk by faith and not by sight. And sometimes our sight distracts us, and we need to go back to the basics of our faith because the renewal of our faith comes through renewed thinking. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans, that we are transformed by the renewal of our mind, that we need to go back. We need to seek fresh understanding. We need to be thinking people, inviting people to think about the deep things of God with us and drawing near to him experience the power of God that is before us. I believe that the renewal of a city, the changing of a city, to care for the soul of a city, to plant a gospel legacy in the city begins with people committed to understanding God and thinking about God and drawing near to God so that the power of the Spirit might live within us and we might serve not out of our intellect or our ability but out of the power of God that flows through us. And I believe that God can change this city. It's not an eye roll. I think that the people of Miami can become thinking people that understand God. I believe it, and I believe that God wants to use you. And I pray that you would start this week by seeking to understand God and to draw near to him so you can experience the power of God. And that here in this church, we would raise the percentage of those of us that pour into God's word and think about him up from 8%. That we'd pursue him. And we'd know that the renewing of our faith comes through renewed thinking.